Welcome back to When Bad Things Happen to Good People, the podcast about censorship and the arts. My name is Todd Sullivan. Joining me as always is Peter Amin. Hello, hello. And today we are completing our look at Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. That's right. some news I want to share nothing nothing exciting not about me personally but um, news that's relevant to our general subject matter which is you know banning things in this case it's books and in this case again it's Florida it's Florida being Florida again Florida's uh, you know they're they're uh, leading the pack they really are <laughs> when it comes to they're out there in the lead just showing us all how it's done that's right um, I'm pulling um, these quotes from a vice.com article from January 12th um, and here we go a school district in Florida has pulled 1600 books including dictionaries and encyclopedias. Dictionaries. Oh, well, they have bad words in them. It, so. it, that's exactly <laughs> it. From their shelves after school board members said the books violated a law signed by Governor Ron DeSantis and the GOP's ongoing war on education, Escambia County School District officials say that the dictionary, along with books like the Guinness Book of World Records and Ripley's Believe It or Not, contain terms, references, and description of sexual conduct. And you know what? They're really not wrong. Yeah, I mean, they do contain those things. Yep. Yeah, You could go to a dictionary. You could look up the word penis. Yeah. You could look up probably the word phallus. You could look up a lot of different you words. You could work up a, like, look up a yeah. lot of different words. You'd probably get even more information. You, um, you would get wrong definitions of some of the slang words. Oh, certainly. <laughs> if you're looking for slang, yeah, don't go there. You would get the actual definition yes, of, of exactly. the word. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the same law that's been uh, affecting other books in Florida, presumably the same law that took out um, Heartstopper, which yeah. we covered um, yeah. last year. Uh, it's uh, HB 1069, which went into effect on July 1st, 2023, and aims to limit sexual education by banning topics like sexual health, sexual orientation, and gender identity. Um, because of this, the school district said they decided to remove the dictionary from school libraries over the summer break as they contain terms that fall under those banned topics. Yeah, I mean, we, we just, we don't want kids to learn about things. That's really, We don't want that's kids gonna, to learn about anything. That's really going to prepare them for the real world, like, you know? like uh. The dictionary and the encyclopedia are like, those are two of the most valuable tools if you want to learn yeah. anything. <laughs> like anything. Just basic reference materials right? are not allowed. It seems ridiculous. How, you might as well say How that are you going to educate your kids? Because there's a chance that you'll see boobies on TV because of like HBO and Game of Thrones. Let's just ban TV. In Florida, it might come to that. It right? might, I guess. <laughs> we never know. It might. Um, well, they probably can't watch nature channels. And, no, because then you can anymore, see animals that, yeah. potentially yeah. having intercourse. That's right. Yeah. Um, and in the animal kingdom, it may not be consensual either. So that's a whole other that's right. Whole yeah. other ball game. But they haven't even learned about consent because uh, it's all been <laughs> exactly. It's all been exactly. taken away. <laughs> if we don't teach you about sex, we don't have to teach you about consent. That's right. And so then you can grow up to be, you know, uh, a date rapist, and it's not our fault. They're gonna they're turning out another generation of real Florida people. Yeah, I don't know. Like, 
it's one thing to see individual books. And, and again, I'll point to Heartstopper because that's what we just covered. And it's another one that seems a bit ridiculous. Like it's mm-hmm. such a tame, such a lovely story. There's really nothing remotely harmful in it. Not really. And and even the, you know, how they broach subjects of, you know, eating disorders or mental health. Uh, it's done very, very tactfully. It's not you know, anything too grittier or, or tough to deal with. Yeah. Right? It, um, but it, it certainly lets people kind of into that topic a little bit in a very gentle way. And yeah, to, to, to equate that with some kind of, uh, you know, train spotting esque type, uh, you know, film or something like that, that is way over the top, right? Like it's, it just doesn't compute. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's a work of fiction. You yeah. take it a step further to banning dictionaries and encyclopedias, and th- it feels like it feels like a parody. Yeah, it feels like something that you would see in like *Idiocracy* or or like a satire like that about you know these things out of control. Like what? What it's else? Like we're almost at Fahrenheit four five one here. Like right? Yeah. You know, like we're just gonna burn every book <laughs> there is just like, to be safe. Like it's just Florida is going to move to oral history education only. No textbooks. No. This nothing. might contain the words pen is yeah. one after the other, which could be read as penis. Destroy right. the book. Yeah. Burn it. It's, it's bonkers. So anyway, um, I want to dedicate this episode to everyone in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a reminder that if you can't access um, these books, at least you can come here and Hear us talk about them. Yeah, you can find out a little bit about them. So maybe sometime in 2023 we can read the dictionary, <laughs> share our thoughts on that. Yes. <laughs> or oh, just do a special episode. We've tried to find the dirtiest word we can find. We're going to do a 26 episode arc on the dictionary. <laughs> yes. we Today covered... we're covering letter A. This episode brought to you by the letter A. That's right. We're going to do our own Sesame Street. We're going to find the dirtiest words in each it's letter each category. Letter. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun, actually. Um, there's there's half a year of uh, work. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I want to do that for a half a year. That yeah, would get, I'd, I'd be bored by the time I got to the letter F, probably. I think halfway through A, right? <laughs> it would lose its charm right mm, away. Yeah, I think I think I would be interested up to F, and then F is just gonna be fuck, and then. Well, I mean, if are you skipping a lot of words? Like you're just you we're, we're hunting and searching for dirty words. We're just picking one them? word for per letter. Oh, okay, right. Okay, that's all. So we, I thought we, we were going to scan through and pull out every dirty word. No, it would just letter. be like you know we're going to cover A, and we're going to talk about each what what the dirtiest word that we thought we found was like, yeah. I guess like, anal or asshole or um, autoerotic asphyxiation mm-hmm, if that's mm-hmm. in there. Um, I want to also thank South Park for teaching my child about autoerotic <laughs> asphyxiation. Had to have that conversation mid-episode. And Do you why, know what that is? Why are they on Amazon ordering belts? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe let's get into this and find out what's going on. Yeah, with, it's got to uh, be more Billy interesting Pilgrim. than the dictionary. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, he jumps around like as if he's looking stuff up in a dictionary, I guess. But um, so we pick up in chapter six, correct? Yeah. So end of chapter five, um, in on the war side of things, he was in the German hospital, um, you know, on the morphine drip because he was uh, he started laughing crazy hysterically yes. at the end of the Cinderella play, uh, and then back in kind of I guess more of the current timeline or at least the start of the book timeline. Uh, flashback to him in his house where he was slowly freezing to death uh, because he didn't notice his furnace had gone out yeah. uh, and his daughter is there kind of yelling at him and going, you know, what are we going to do with you? Like what, you know, how, how are you going to survive without uh, help? So into chapter six, we now flash back 
to the war, to the German hospital. Um, and they're getting shipped off to, uh, to Dresden. Yes. They're, they're getting packed up uh, from, from the camp that they're in. Um, so uh, we find out there's the other guy that's in the hospital with Billy and Edgar is Paul Lazzaro. Um, and he was the guy that was uh, with Roland Weary when Roland Weary died. Right. On the, the, the next train car over and, you know, made him swear to get revenge uh, on, on Roland Weary against Billy Pilgrim. So, uh, and he, he lets Billy know about this. And then we get a little... Uh, but it's not, it's, it's more than just lets, he lets him know. It's like... <laughs> one day I'm going to come for you. It yeah. won't be in a year or five years. Yeah, but he, like, he lets them know it's a long, yeah, long time you know, frame. I'm going to come up to your door and knock on the door, and yeah. when you open it, I'm going to say, like, you know, so-and-so sent me, and then I'm going to shoot you in the gut or something. Yeah. And so, like, you know, there's this... This guy takes this kind of... Or appears to take this kind of vengeance very, very seriously. seriously. Yeah. yeah, And it's, it's not too far further into the chapter than this that we actually find out how it plays out because yeah billy billy has the flash forward yeah to, to when he is he is he killed is, by this guy he, later he in does, the future and it's it's quite a ways in the future right? yeah so he really takes i mean billy lives his whole life essentially right? i mean i think he what did they say billy died around 60 something i think which is you know yeah. which is youngish but it, it was um what was it? He was speaking at some kind of, you know, UFO type. Yeah, he was talking about the, the true like nature that. of time and yeah. UFOs and things like that. And he yeah. tells everyone he's about to be That's killed, right? Because right? he knows it's coming. Uh, and, and he dismisses and the, like he doesn't the want cops any extra like, security. Oh, can we, or, yeah, we'll stay around. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I've lived a good life. Exactly. Like, I'm ready for it. And he knows it's yeah, coming because he's, yeah. he's been there before because of zipping through time. Yeah. But Paul doesn't shoot him. Uh, he doesn't walk up to him. He shoots him from afar. He's, yeah, with a, he like sniper him rifle. or something yeah. like that, right, from from a distance. So, he, But, you know, Billy does know, I guess, who it is and, and how it happens. So. Yeah. You know, revenge complete. Revenge <laughs> check, complete. Check mark. For, Roland Weary has yeah, his vengeance at last. That's right. Um, all right. Uh, oh, and with a laser gun. So that's right. There I were guess, some very futuristic elements yeah, to that part of the story a, there too. There was a very yeah. futuristic uh, element that uh, within you know twenty some years from the war, we now have laser guns <laughs> <laughs> that are that are able to kill people. Hey, you so. know, they were hopeful back yeah, then. I guess. Yeah. Um, what else in this chapter? This was kind of a smaller chapter. Um, so these guys get moved out, um, of the hospital. They're staying in the theater. They kind of make nests in the blankets and curtains that are there. Um, Billy steals some silver boots that were used in the play. That's right. Um, so now he is Cinderella because he's got some weird toga and these silver boots. Right, and, and the, the muff that he keeps yeah. his hand in that's so got... He's um, just a ridiculous looking character. Is, yep. I mean, all the other soldiers have probably, you know, some type of uniform or something. And he, you know, he, he arrived in street clothes into yeah. the war. Right? Bad shoes so, and everything else. Uh, so, yeah, now he's changed into like a, a toga curtain and silver boots and... The muff. Yeah. What a what an interesting character he I must like look like. Muff. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna hear the word muff a lot on this podcast, exactly. no matter what book we're reading. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so 
they get to they're told that Dresden's going to be a lot nicer that conditions there are, are a lot better for prisoners so they're kind of looking forward to that um, turns out Dresden is not too far from their current uh, camp it's about a two-hour train trip so um, they get there Billy thinks it's a beautiful place it looks like a Sunday school picture of heaven is what he thinks um, and it hasn't been bombed yet so people are still living normally and the prisoners get paraded through the streets uh, with Billy leading in his crazy costume <laughs> um, he kind of looks uh, around at the architecture and then he realizes or remembers that in about 30 days the town is about is going to get bombed yes um so uh, but when they when they are they've just arrived at dresden right yeah yeah so when they arrive there it it seems like i don't know a whole lot about dresden i maybe should have done some more googling about it before coming to, to talk about it but like they talk about it how it's like the most beautiful city yeah. that they've ever seen and in fact there's that's a, that's what I've heard about it, and same as you, I didn't really spend yeah. too much time looking anything up. But uh, I think the the first time I heard of Dresden and looked it up, it was it was a you know just a beautiful beautiful place, um, very green and lush. Yeah. Um, also, like um, very um, you know alive with arts and culture and that right. Kind of so like Compared, statues and architecture. Yeah, and, yeah, and music and and theater and yeah. all sorts of stuff kind of going on that you know you maybe wouldn't see in some other German cities. Quite to that kind of extent, right? So. And this is another one of those moments where um, Vonnegut has a voice briefly in the narrative where he mentions that someone behind Billy Pilgrim uh, describes it literally as all. Yeah, he, he pops up again. <laughs> and uh, and says that that, that that was me, that was I. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was interesting that like they're, uh, they're coming from not fantastic quarters and everything else and they're brought to, you know, the door opens and they see this fantastic beautiful city that's probably bringing with it a certain amount of hopefulness for you know their survival and their future but of course mm -hmm. billy knows that that's not to be the Short case for long yeah. yeah i'm curious like again in the later chapter there's a, a harvard history professor that pops up that talks about dresden and and we get into you know there's some clips um some some forwards from a, a fictitious book mm. um that talk a little bit more about Dresden and the military decision. But I'm curious what the Germans were thinking, um, you know, because we, we hear earlier in the book um, that it out of all the large uh, German cities, it's the only one that hasn't been bombed at that point. And um, now the Germans are moving prisoners of war to Dresden. Um, I'm curious if the military decision there was, well, let's move all the prisoners of war to this last remaining city so that they can't bomb it. Um, or to, well, yeah, to make because, the allies think twice before bombing it, right? But I think that the, was already the, the case because I think it was mostly like they didn't have military outposts in Dresden. Yeah, in my it was, memory, it, it was all just civilians. Yeah. Um, so it's like there wasn't any military reason to target it unless you wanted to actually I, hit the civilians. I vaguely remember in the start of the book that one of the things was, or, or maybe it was something we looked up, but that the German troops were moving through there in very high numbers. They were moving through. To get to the Russian front, but it was like but their they main But they way. weren't like outpost there, I don't no, think. No, no, but they were, it was, a, it was a big link in the supply chain to get troops to the Russian front. So um, again, when it comes to 
maybe the decision, but I'm curious whether part of the, the mentality was, well, let's move a bunch of prisoners of war there to maybe stave off some bombing. That Could very well be, yeah. Did, did not work. Uh, <laughs> no, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, it does get bombed. Uh, so the interesting thing here um, is we find out the name of the book because uh, the prisoners are stowed in a slaughterhouse. Yeah. And the building that Billy is in um, with his group is Slaughterhouse Number Five. Hey, that's the name of the book. Yeah, so that's that's where it comes from. Yeah, it comes from where Billy was a prisoner in Dresden, and I, I'm not sure if it's very clear, but I think I think it's that slaughterhouse where they shelter from the bombing. Yes, it, it just says a cellar under kind of the complex, but I think it's probably. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that yeah, that they went back to the the same slaughterhouse that yeah, was there. They're, you they're know, sheltering their sheltering under that yeah. one. So. So Slaughterhouse 5 also um, saves them from the bombing. Exactly. Uh, when it, when Ironic for a slaughterhouse. That's right, yeah. Uh, so into Chapter 7. Now we're going to start jumping around a little bit. Um, so Billy is in a plane crash. Yes. Um, so this is he's on his way to uh, some kind of optometry convention or something like that. His father-in-law, so Valencia's dad, yep. is on the plane. Um, there's a barbershop quartet <laughs> yes. on the plane, and Billy's father-in-law is making them sing dirty limericks and right. stuff. And what was it was the four-eyed something. What are they, the feds? The yeah, four-eyed, four-eyed bastards, I think. Oh, feb, right, yeah. <laughs> the febs, the four-eyed bastards. Yeah, singing um, racist Polak songs. Yeah, well, one was like a dirty limerick, and then one was like a yeah, racist <laughs> Yeah. Just like... I'm not sure, like, that's not any barbershop quartet I've ever heard, like, <laughs> singing it's dirty limericks. Barbershop and, after dark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, there's some kind of pilot error or something like that, um, and they crash into Sugarbush Mountain, uh, and everyone dies. Except, except Billy, Billy and the, the co-pilot. co-pilot yeah. yeah, yeah. so German ski instructors find them. Um, because they're speaking German, Billy thinks they're from the war and he's like, oh yeah, I'm in Slaughterhouse Five. Like he's right. telling them yeah, yeah, yeah. his address cause he thinks, you know, he's, he's coming out of the bombing or something like that. Uh, but he's taken to the hospital. A famous surgeon from Boston comes and operates on his skull. For cause he had a hours. cracked skull. Yeah. Yeah. His skull was cracked. Um, he dreams for two days after, um, some of it true, uh, which is the time travel stuff. And, um, he dreams of back of his first night in Dresden where he was wheeling a cart, uh, through the stalls. Um, and he's guarded by like a 16 year old German kid. Right. They're looking for the kitchen on their way. They kind of stumble into like, a um, you know, like a Porky's type scene where they open the right. door and there's all these <laughs> like young women yeah, showering. They were, they're they all were naked. like German, um, refugees refugees yeah. yeah they were all like teenage girls yeah and so they kind of whip open the door and they're like oh there's a gaggle of naked women yeah and the kid the german kid guard and billy had never seen, seen a, a naked, naked woman, woman before, before. Yeah. Their, their first time so um anyway they uh they go to the kitchen some old uh, ladies had been waiting there she's cranky and upset and you know kind of gets into it about uh you know all the real soldiers are dead now and you know you guys are just boys um, and then we find out that, uh, Dresden is actually kind of more of a work camp for these soldiers. So they're, you know, they're cleaning windows, uh, you know, sweeping floors, cleaning, uh, lavatories, um, working in factories. Um, and Billy goes to work in a syrup factory. Yeah. Yeah. A fortified syrup for pregnant women. Uh, and everyone, all the soldiers that work there are secretly, there's spoons hidden all over yep. the factory because yep. they're spooning this. It's the only kind of vitamins and nutrients that they're getting. Any kind of yeah. anything. And, yeah. the, and the soldiers are loving it. 
Um, so on his second day, Billy finds one of the hidden spoons. He gets some syrup and his body's like, oh, yes, vitamins. Like, thank goodness. Uh, Edgar Derby's outside washing the windows and he's like tapping on the window like, hey, I saw that. Give me some. He uh, So Billy tops him up a, a spoonful and uh, and Edgar gets some of the, some of that. And he bursts into tears like. Is and, this when he bursts into I tears? think it is. I think it is. And it just, it, it makes you think about like how deprived they have been of even the tiniest. Like nutrients or. Not just nutrients, but like joy, the tiniest bit of pleasure. Mm, yeah. But just this little. Um, hint of something hint nice. Hint of yeah. like a sweet syrup is in, in it, it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've had a tough, tough time. Yeah. Of yeah. it. Um, although I, I mean, they did have a pretty good feast. When they had the, a couple the, good meals the, when the English before coming them. to Dresden. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they they certainly have not eaten very well. Uh, I mean, some of those meals were promptly shit back out again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, all, all the rich food just <laughs> yeah. went right through them. Um, but yeah, so they're 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 snacking on syrup. That's how they're kind of getting their nutrients. That's yeah. how they're they're surviving their their plight in Dresden while they're slaving away working. Um, so then we get into chapter eight. Um, so this is two days before the bombing. And then we, the Americans get a visitor. Um, it's Howard W. Campbell Jr. So this is the guy that was mentioned earlier in the book. I don't think they mentioned by name, but he's the guy working with the Germans to write propaganda. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he had been, he did the piece on like capturing Billy and the piece on how slovenly and, and crappy prisoners, the Americans were the worst prisoners and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he's not there to kind of do research. He's there to recruit people. Yeah. He wants to encourage he's them to try, kind of join the Nazis. He's trying to form this American Nazi unit to go yeah. fight the Russians, right? They're just going to fight the Russians. So they're not going to be, you know, fighting on the Western front yeah. against other Americans. And no, nobody's having it. Like nobody even speaks up or bats an eyelash. I guess it's one of those things where, like, it doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah, I guess. Right? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, you guys ever think about being a Nazi? No. Yeah. Okay, I no. mean, like, if he had only known that they could have probably, if he offered some syrup or <laughs> some, <laughs> something good to eat, maybe, maybe he would have got a few more recruits. Maybe. That's true. Yeah. Um, but no one says anything until uh, Edgar Derby stands up and calls him lower than a snake, that he's uh, no good. Uh, and then he idealizes the American way and that they're going to they're, you know, they're close with the Russians and their brothers and they're going to work together to eliminate the disease of Nazism. Uh, and then the air raid sirens go off. So that kind of kills, the, <laughs> kills the conversation right kills there. The mood a little. And they got to go um, into the, the meat cooler or the cellar underneath the slaughterhouse. Yeah. Um, but nothing happened that night. That was, uh, it was a false alarm, yeah. I guess that time. Uh, but we know a couple, couple days later, it's the real deal. Um, Billy sleeps. He goes back in time a little bit to the argument with his daughter, um, where she mentions she could just kill Kilgore Trout. We don't know why. Yeah. She doesn't explain it. It's not explained. Well, I think if I had to guess, it's because she probably thinks that that's where all of these ideas about time travel and spaceships and have travel into, Famidorians have yes. gotten into his head. Because we find out that Billy and Kilgore are friends. Yeah, but also yeah. Billy's been reading Trout since... His um, first mental break. Well, wasn't it... No, I think it wasn't it. In, oh, maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was when he comes back from the war. Yeah, and he, uh, he has sort his of first mental breakdown and, and yeah. hangs out next with um, Elliot Rosewater. That's right. Yeah, um, he has like sixty some novels, yeah. and he, yeah. so he reads them all. Right. Um, and so I, I suspect. Suspect. 
I suspect the daughter thinks that it's Trout's fault that all of these um, ideas are in her dad's head. Or a counterpoint, she's not getting her newspaper delivered and she's really upset <laughs> as we find out that Mr. Kilgore Trout um, does not make a lot of money no. as a writer, doesn't even think of himself really as a writer, despite <laughs> writing 60, 70, right. 80 books. Um, but the he actually yeah, manager at the newspaper in at Ilium. The Ilium Gazette, and he, ha- he runs all the little crew of bicycle delivery yeah. people, little kids delivering the papers, and like that's his primary job, yeah. so... <laughs> I mean, it could, you could be that, bills, she's, right? that she's not getting her <laughs> newspaper, and that's that's why she's upset. But it's most likely your thing. Yeah. But, but yeah. I mean, we'll never know, I guess. We'll ne- or maybe it's both. And maybe she's like, I really, <laughs> I really hate this yeah. guy. Uh, but that, that leads us into how uh, Billy and Kilgore Trout became friends, yeah. um, which was by chance yeah. or as the moment had to be, which, whichever way you uh, want to think about it. Um, he's driving down some alley or whatever. And Kilgore is having like a meeting with all the kids on the bike. So they're blocking up the whole alley, right? They're planning their circulation for the day or whatever. And so Billy's kind of stuck there and he overhears one of the kids calling Mr. Trout and he's like, Hey, that face looked familiar and okay. Um, so anyway, after, um, after the meeting, one of the boys quits. So Kilgore has to deliver the papers. Uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't even have a bike or, or a car, car or yeah. anything. Um, so Billy's like, Hey, I'll give you a ride. And you know, he, but ha- first it's like, you he know, does the paper. Billy route. gets out of the car and he's like, Mr. Kilgore, Kilgore Trout. And he's like, yeah. yeah, do I know you? And he's like, aren't you a writer? And he's like, am I? Yeah. <laughs> that he's whole like, exchange he doesn't like, even think of himself as a writer. He's kind of forgotten that he does that in his spare time or whatever. Mm. But yeah, they go off and. They deliver papers together, together yeah. and they become friends. Um, he invites uh, Kilgore to his 18th wedding anniversary, yes. um, where he is really well received. He's like the life of the party because it's just optometrists and their spouses, right? So, <laughs> right. you know, they're like, ooh, a writer. And uh. Everyone's fascinated <laughs> by him and he's getting kind of drunk on the power a little bit. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. all loud and boisterous at the party. And yeah, so uh, they uh, they become friends. Yes. Um, what else happens there? Uh, da, da, da. Oh, uh, at that same party, Billy gives Valencia a ring. Um, we find out he collects cufflinks and he's got all sorts of crazy cufflinks. But they also mentioned, so the ring, so going back to the muff, <laughs> he finds a couple of things in the muff. He notices that there's these, these kind yes, of yes, in his, pokey in things. In his crazy short jacket. Yeah. yeah. And so he pulls them out and one is like a diamond or a jewel of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an uncut diamond. Is it an uncut diamond? Uncut, some kind of uncut jewel. Um, and the other is a partial um, denture. A partial denture. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is relevant because here at the party, the ring that he gives to Valencia is made from the jewel. That's right. Yeah. And they mention that he's also kept the partial denture, and it's in his it's box in of, his cufflinks. Yeah, cufflinks. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he's he's kept these as sort of you know souvenirs. From the war, or you know, some yeah. some people get to keep their souvenirs and and give them to some their wife. Some people get assassinated. Some people get shot in the head for it. You know what I mean? Squad, yeah. So it goes. So it goes. Um, the other thing here is there's the same barbershop quartet. Yeah. Or or. Um, and there, the this fabs. is like the third time they were mentioned. I think there's a one time pre. Previous, I'm wrong. Maybe? I could be wrong. About I that, don't know. But. but so this is before the plane crash. Um, as Billy and Valencia are still alive. Um, and the Febs are there and they're singing uh, a song 
um, about, I can't remember exactly about, you know, leaving or, you know, friends have to go away or something mm-hmm. like that. And Billy breaks out into tears. Yeah. Well, he doesn't break out into tears right away, but he, you know, he kind of pulls no- away from the party. Everyone notices that he's like, while while they're singing, he's looking, you know, crazy upset. Yeah. It looks like he's seen a ghost, something like that. Um, and he kind of goes and sits down and in between songs, you know, he kind of livens up a little bit, but then they sing another song and he realizes it's not, it's not that they're what they're singing about. It's not the song. It's just the fact that there's four of them, this that there's four people singing. Um, and that's, what's really upsetting him. And then we, we find out as he flashes back to his time in Dresden, um, that, uh, in the in the gar in the in the cellar, sorry, in in Dresden, when they're getting firebombed, there was four German guards with them. That's, right, that's all they were, and they were kind of like talking to each other, kind of sing songy as they would look out or, or maybe you know try and get information as to what's going on. And and so this, you know, we find out it's kind of reminds him of the four guards while he was, you know getting firebombed in Dresden. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's a bit of a, a rough link there for Billy. Um then we get a, a flashback to Tralfamador where uh Montana is pregnant in the zoo. Right. And she's like, Oh, you yeah. were time traveling again, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um or she he te- I think that's a bit later on. Oh, is it? I'm sorry. Yeah. So here Billy tells her about Dresden um and you know the guards and then how afterwards it looked like the moon right yeah so ash covered ash covered and desolate um and you know the survivors were climbing through the rubble um while american jets were flying by trying to shoot them um and uh they make it to an inn on the edge of the town or just on the outskirts um and they're open for business. So yeah, the, yeah. the few guards that are with them and the hundred, there's a hundred prisoners of war. Um, they so get, this is after the firebombing. This is after the yeah. bombing, yeah. It's and interesting. There's no real, that I can recall, any point in the book where they really describe the actual firebombing is there like it's, uh, it, well it's it's in this it's in this flashback where they talk a little bit about how it sounded like giants walking um, yeah above but them. it's pretty brief yeah it happens and then it's like it's before it and then it's happening and then it's after it's it's yeah. not a whole yeah. like you know you know they talk about you know the death count uh yeah 135,000 people died in the firebombing and they, a little bit about how they were you know burned but alive a, you know part of me kind of expected to get like almost like a whole chapter about the firebombing itself and it, it felt a little underplayed compared to but a lot of the things in this book do end up feeling underplayed because yeah. of the amount of kind of um, we hear about them so frequently yeah that when it finally flashbacks. happens it's, yeah. it's so brief yeah, and we'll we'll see that at the Again, end yeah, like <laughs> as well. Yeah, um, but yeah, so there. I mean, you're you're right. There's not a big mention of it. Just yeah. that they're kind of sheltering there, and it sounds like giants are stomping around, uh, but they're perfectly fine in there. But there is that point too, cellar. where one of them sort of pokes their head out to see how things are, and it's just flames, flames everywhere. Yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like to be sort of in this relatively safe and secure place i guess but probably on some level wondering how long it will be safe and secure for like is yeah. it going to collapse in on itself yeah. is you know yeah well and that's it is one of those four guards that were uh that poked their head up and then they were relaying information between yeah. them right yeah. so um 
but yeah, so they do survive. Um, they make it out the next day. Um, they get to this inn yep. um, where there's, of course, a blind innkeeper. Why not? Yeah, that's what you want. Um, and they get put to sleep, uh, locked in the stables. Yep. And our blind innkeeper comes, got a little bit of food, comes got a little night. bit of coffee, a little bit of beer beforehand. And in his in German, he says, "Good night, Americans. Sleep well." Like, and that's the end of the chapter. So, yeah. Yeah, they they survived and, and they're they're doing well. Live to yeah. suffer another day. That's right. Yeah. Um, so none of this group is fighting. This yeah. is not live to fight another day. This so is live to fumble on. This tale of the bombing is him telling it to Montana Wild Hat. Yes. In the zoo on Tralfalmador. It's not a flashback. He's just recounting the tale of how it how it was, um, and then it kind of flashes into the next day. Yeah. Um, you know, what happened and, and how they went to the inn. Um, but yeah, just interesting that for a lot of stuff that gets talked about earlier in the book or, or briefly mentioned, there's not a huge payoff later in the book. Yeah. Like we do gloss over a lot of, a lot of things or they, they don't get maybe the time that we think they're, they're going to get. Um, and same as we get into chapter nine, which is I think one of the longest chapters, chapter five and chapter nine yeah. are two. Uh, really long chapters uh, and we get a lot of different stuff happening uh, in chapter nine but again now we're we're kind of getting away from the the firebombing we don't we don't really talk about it certainly not um in any detail yeah um for the rest of the book which there's just chapters nine and ten left to go there is yeah um so now we're we're back to the hospital um so billy or i guess we're on our way to the hospital. So Valencia hears about Billy's right. plane crash. We find out how Valencia dies. And so she is hysterical because she she loves Billy. She adores Billy. Um, and they're telling her he might die um, or he might be a vegetable. So she's in hysterics. She jumps in the Cadillac, hits the highway, and you know misses her turn, slams on the brakes. Some Mercedes kind of rear-ends her. Just wrecks the back end wrecks of the car. The back fucks up the exhaust. Well, and then she drives off, yeah. but she like hops a curb or she, she kind of does something and rips the whole exhaust system yeah. off the, you know, both muffler, both mufflers, everything like off the bottom of the car. The, the back end is a disaster or a Fenderman's wet dream or a Fenderman's wet dream <laughs> as yeah. described in the book. Anyway, so she takes off. It's about another hour, I think, to the hospital. Um, and she gets there and everyone's going like, what the it's cause it sounds like a jet coming in cause there's no mufflers. It's just straight engine exhaust. Uh, she gets to the hospital and then like and collapses, collapses. Yeah. Like carbon monoxide yeah. has been leaking into the car, her whole drive. Uh, and she dies an hour after that. Yeah. Uh, so she made it, but, uh, I don't, doesn't sound like she saw Billy or anything like that. I don't that. think Billy saw her because no, it was... No, Billy was still yeah. kind of out of it, I think, at, the, at that point. And I think, I think like, the daughter hasn't arrived yet either. So the daughter gets to arrive to her dad in a coma yeah, and her mom yeah. dead. Like, wow. Yeah. That's a tough day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is tough for the daughter. I mean, they have a little description, I think, in this chapter about how... Um, at the hospital, they drugged her up pretty good mm-hmm. so she could yeah. just get through the day. Just deal with it. Just yeah. deal with it because, yeah, she gets to the hospital. She I mean, she wouldn't have even known until she got to the hospital. Right, her yeah, mom exactly. Died, right? So, yeah, pretty rough day for her. This isn't the days of, like, texting and cell phones. That's like, right, yeah. Somebody would have had to, like, send you a couriered. Yeah, well, and if you're driving, there's, yeah, there's no, 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 no way to get right? through to you, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so we find out Billy is, um, he's, he's unaware. Um, he's still kind of out of it when Valencia dies. So he doesn't even know at this point. Uh, and he is, there's not enough rooms in the hospital. So he has to share a room and he ends up sharing a room with a Harvard history professor whose name is Bertram Copeland Rumford, um, who's seven years old. He's there because he broke his leg skiing yep. at seven years old, which I think at the time of writing this book would be a lot more impressive than, than maybe in our day and age. Where... I still feel like, you know, downhill skiing at 70 would be impressive. Yeah, I mean, I mean my dad skied, you know, well into his yeah. uh, later life. He, he actually didn't take it up until he was he was much older. Nice. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, 70, I think... It, it, in the 60s? It would be much different. <laughs> like Absolutely. That's, that's, yeah. yeah. And are we sure? I mean, this could be the 50s, right? It, it could mean, be in the 50s. I don't remember yeah. where in the timeline yeah. this is because yeah. we're bouncing all over. Yeah, because, I mean, he, he does survive a while after, but we, yeah, we don't know kind of when that accident uh, take, takes place. Uh, but this guy's kind of like a Superman. You know, he's a retired army guy. Um, you know, 20 something wife. Yeah. His wife is 23. She don't read too good. You know, (laughs) she's, she's a real, uh, I think the line is another proof that he is a Superman is her function. (laughs) Right. Just real superficial. Um, but, um, he's writing, um, a book about, well, a book about, condensing a 27 right, volume exactly. US yeah. war history into one volume, volume yeah. um, and so you know she his wife Lily who's the 23 year old she's brought him a bunch of books um, and one uh, one thing is like a news piece where Harry Truman is talking about the bombing of Hiroshima um, and he makes her read it but she doesn't read too good so she's just kind of pretending um, however we, we get the gist of it it's, it's, um, it's printed out for us or at least a section of it so we kind of get Truman's words on you know the necessity that was the that was the speech I think he gave about the retaliation after yeah, Pearl Harbor right? yeah exactly and yeah. so we get we get a piece of that um, and then we find out uh, that uh, she's also brought a book about Dresden yeah. um, because two of his friends have written forwards uh, in this book um, about Dresden and for me this was the point in the book where I thought these forwards are kind of the real some of the key as to you know Vonnegut's kind of take on the war and on Dresden and that kind of thing kind of come to us through the through right. these forwards. Um, I don't know how we're doing on time and if we want to yeah re- go read ahead them read them. Um, so the first forward um, goes like this: uh, I find it difficult to understand Englishmen or Americans who weep about enemy civilians who are killed referencing Dresden, uh, but who have not shed a tear for our gallant crews lost in combat with a cruel enemy. Um, I think it would have been well for Mr. Irving, who's the, the pretend author of this book that uh, they're forwarding. Uh, I think it would have been well for Mr. Irving to have remembered when he was drawing the frightful picture of the civilians killed at Dresden that the V1s and V2 rockets were at the very time falling on England killing civilian men, women, and children indiscriminately as they were designed and launched to do. It might be well to remember Buckenwald and Coventry too, which I am assuming are other um, English bombings uh, done by German rockets. Mm-hmm. And then the other forward, um, so there's another offer that's, that's there's two forwards to this book. Uh, and then this one, I think, provides even more context around uh, kind of the senselessness of it. 
Um, so I deeply regret that British and U.S. bombers killed 135,000 people in the attack on Dresden, but I remember who started the last war, and I regret even more the loss of more than 5 million Allied lives in the necessary effort to completely defeat and utterly destroy Nazism. That the bombing of Dresden was a great tragedy, none can deny. That it was really a military necessity, few, after reading this book, will believe. It was one of those terrible things that sometimes happen in wartime, brought about by an unfortunate combination of circumstances. Those who approved it were neither wicked nor cruel, though it, mo though it may well be that they were too remote from the harsh realities uh, of war to understand fully the appalling destructive power of air bombing bombardment in the spring of 1945. The advocates of nuclear disarmament seemed to believe that if they could achieve their aim, war would become tolerable and decent. They would do well to read this book and ponder the fate of Dresden, where 135,000 people died as a result of an air attack with conventional weapons. On the night of March 9th, 1945, an air attack on Tokyo by American heavy bombers using incendiary and high explosive bombs caused the death of 83,793 people. The atom bomb dropped on Hiroshima killed 71,379 people. So it goes. So, you know, definitely critical in one sense, but also um, kind of calling out people who are um, claiming that the tragedy is, is just due to the civilians dying without, you know, kind of recounting the, the maybe the revenge aspect or, or the, the atrocities kind of wrought on, on both sides. Yeah. Uh, but certainly... I think the whole kind of chunk altogether really points at how senseless it is, yeah. how these decisions are not, you know, filled with any thought or regard to the people that are. Because I think the people who make those decisions, the people who make the calls about whether we firebomb here or whether we drop mm -hmm. the atom bomb there, they're too far removed from the minutia. Oh yeah. It's that thing where like they're looking at if you know, if if one person dies it's a tragedy. When a thousand people die it's a statistic. That's right. You get the numbers high enough and you can't you can't wrap your head around it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I think it's not even just the numbers either like when you are you, you look you're thinking about a, a a place on the other side of the planet. It is the numbers though. You think about the place on the other side of the planet that's got 150,000 people in it. Um who are those people? Who are mm -hmm. they to you? I mean, they're they're people with families and children, and some of them are bakers, and some of them are assholes, and some of them are whatever. But mm -hmm. I guess militarily, you you can't let that color your decision, or you shouldn't. Or I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I guess this is where you know I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say neither of us are really war historians or, no. or anything like that. But um, you know, like the Geneva Accords and things like that. I think that they came after the end of world war two. I think so. Right. So but even then the to respond to some of this, um, you know, like the death of civilians or, or non-combatants or, or, or people that were, you know, not involved yeah. in the war, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. being casualties, um, for no reason kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the fact that yes, the Germans were the enemy, uh, at the time, but the town was mainly civilians, um, you know, it, it makes it seem very senseless and very non-strategic, right? You know, the line about it being a, a oh. tactical necessity, if you can believe that, See, that's that, the right? thing. I agree that it wouldn't be a tactical necessity, 
But that doesn't mean it's not strategic. There's no, no tactical reason fair to wipe enough. out civilians. Yeah. But there could be a strategic reason, which yeah. is, I would say, it's about, um, uh, it, it, it affects the morale of the other side. You know, you wipe out 150,000 innocent people on a side of people. They're mm. going to question. Why are we fighting this uh, war? Should we really still be doing this? Like, mm-hmm. how many more civilians are going to die? And I mean, right. As far as the Geneva Conventions go, that's probably part of why that was necessary. Yeah. Because you could make those strategic arguments for why you should slaughter civilians in these cases. Yeah. And it's not. Well, it's, and the whole idea of the, you know, the rules of war. It's yeah. a little bit mind-boggling to me. It's like, yeah. you guys can kill yourselves, but only in certain ways, okay? Yeah. It's And if not, at the end, we're going to take you to Nuremberg and <laughs> prosecute you. You like, guys are going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is a bit silly. And and I think the, the other aspect of that, where he points to some of the other Allied bombings on Tokyo and yeah. on... You know, like the the atom bomb, right? Yeah. You know, but I think that's also to Hiroshima was not a military target, really, right? That, no, it was shock and awe, right? Yeah. Look, look what we can do with exactly. one bomb. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Where you know, yes, strategically, it uh, it may be more about the statement and not so much a tactical maneuver. Man, but speaking it, of, it sure makes it senseless when the numbers add up, right? We're reading one hundred and thirty-five thousand, right? Eighty-three thousand, seventy-one thousand. Yeah, like, but again, I mean, that shows the like how comparatively to these other ones that how impactful Dresden was. Yeah. And, uh, and speaking of like the being too far removed from it, there's a scene in uh, Oppenheimer um, where they're discussing where they're going to drop the bomb. Okay. And one of the, um, one of the military strategists who's, who's there, I can't remember what the city was that they were discussing, but he was like, no, I don't want to drop it there. I went there on my honeymoon and it's really nice. Oh, really? Right? That, and that like, was the criteria, hey? That was it. Like, that was just Jeez. like, they're just trying to figure out where. And he just, he just like, nah, let's not do that one because I like it. But it's so arbitrary, right? Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing is that it's just, you point to anything on the map and it's like, this is going to bring us our military goal of X number of civilian deaths that we think is required to make the Germans change their mind or the Japanese change their mind or mm-hmm. whatever. It's just, it's insane. Yeah. So, um, he, uh, let's see here. Um, so yeah, his daughter, uh, arrives. Okay. So yeah, so he, the forwards are read, or at least we get a glimpse of what the forwards are that Rumford uh, was wanting to, uh, to read. Uh, and then Billy's daughter actually arrives and she is, um, drugged, <laughs> heavily drugged up, um, because it has been quite the day for her. I bet. Um, he's still kind of not fully in it. Um, he's flashing around. So he flashes to, um, a time when he was doing an eye exam on what he describes um, oh, as a Mongolian idiot. Uh, not a great description. Not a great description. Um, then he flashes to a doctor's room when he was a kid, when he had a, a something happened to his thumb. And there's an old guy there, and he's there because he's got gas. And he's just <laughs> sitting there farting, and he says, I knew it was going to be bad getting old. I didn't know it would be this bad. And he's just sitting there farting. Farting and burping. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So Billy opens his eyes, um, doesn't know where he is, and actually his son Robert, the Green Bray, has flown in. Um, we find out a little bit uh, about Robert. He was kind of a troubled teen, you know, in with the wrong crowd, was an alcoholic at 16 and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, now he's all straightened out. He's a leader of men um, now that he's a Green Beret. Uh, Billy closes his eyes again, and that's about the last we hear of his son Robert yeah. uh, for the rest of the book. Um, he ends up missing Valencia's funeral because he's still in the hospital. Right. But we find out that he's kind of playing it a little bit in the hospital. Like he's, he's kind of recovered, but he's just outwardly kind of unresponsive. Meanwhile, he's kind of withdrawn inside and he's, he's kind of decided that he's going to now start telling the world about Chalfamador, um, yeah. about the lessons he's yeah. learned. So he's in his mind, he's plotting and scheming and writing letters and lectures and all sorts of things, uh, so that he can kind of share these lessons that he's learned with the world. Um, now he's he's kind of stuck in that until he hears uh, his roommate Rumford um, starts talking about Dresden. Yeah. So Rumford's problem with Dresden is that it was not highly covered in the you know twenty seven volume war right, history that right. he's trying to condense. But Americans have found out about Dresden now, as he explains to his twenty three year old wife. Um, you know, she asked why they kept it a secret and, um, you know, he says, you know, like essentially the bleeding hearts would have a, yeah. have a field day with 135,000 yeah. civilians getting killed for exactly. no real reason. Yeah. Uh, so that's why it's kind of kept secret, but he needs to include it in the book now cause people know about it or have yeah. found out. And so he's trying to figure out how to do that. And while he's talking about Dresden, Billy kind of just all of a sudden out of nowhere, I was goes, there. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> just. And I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so Rumsford is like, oh, he's just, he's just repeating he's stuff. A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. He says he has Echo, echolalia. Echolalia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, and, and he, he goes to, he gets the nurses and the doctors and he's like, he's serious. Yeah. This guy yeah. has echolalia. Like you need to test him. But they test him and he doesn't, he doesn't repeat anything, anything else. Anything else. No, just except the Dresden, Dresden stuff. stuff. Yeah. And then he waits and waits. Until kind of like late at night when nothing's happening and nobody said anything for a long time. And then he, he kind of brings it up again and goes, yeah, I was, you know, I was at Dresden. And, um, you know, I think he, he, he says something where, you know, Rumford kind of believes him a little bit. But he goes, do we have to talk about this now? And Billy's like, I don't, I don't care. Like, yeah. I don't want to talk about it, but I just want just, you to yeah, know I that was I there. was there. Yeah. And, and that's about it. Um I mean, if we don't talk about it now, I'll probably whoosh off to another yeah, year. Right. But um, okay, so then Billy flashes back to um, two days after the war is over. Um, so he's riding in a wagon with five other prisoners of war. Um, they're going back to the slaughterhouse where they this, were held. This isn't before two days after the war is over. It's yeah. This this particular scene that he flashes back to, is it? Yeah, because they're riding in the wagon. Uh, so they're, I thought this they're was when free. they were going to start like digging out the corpses and stuff. That's later. Okay. Yeah. This particular one, this is, this flashes forward past kind of where the end of the book leaves okay. us. Yeah. Okay. So they're okay. in, the, he's in the wagon, um, with five other prisoners. They're going to go back to the, so the war is over. They're free to kind of do what they want. Yeah. Um, so they're going to go back to the slaughterhouse to look for souvenirs. 
Billy doesn't care about the souvenirs. He's just like happy to be out and free. And it's springtime. The sun, the sun is shining. Beaming down on him. He's kind of like, like napping back, in yeah. the back of the wagon, just, you know, soaking in the sun, having a sunny nap. Um, and he thinks to himself that this may be the happiest moment of his life. Yeah. Just enjoying the sun and in the burned out moonscape of, uh, of Dresden. Um, hanging in the back of this wagon. But I could see that as a like a comparison relative to where you were two to five days ago, like 10 days ago. Well, like, so they, they do imply later in the book that after the bombing, they're they're still held. So in that, that yeah. stable in the yeah, end, yeah. they're held and they're working. And so it's it's been a while um, after the bombing that, that they're, they're still up prisoners yeah, and yeah. working on cleaning up and recovering bodies and things like that. Um, but yeah, this two days kind of after the actual end of the war, when they're let free, um, we don't know how much time has kind of elapsed. There. But even so, if, if you look at sort of everything we we've experienced about Billy's experiences in the war, uh, including the firebombing, including everything else, um, the, going from all of that to having just a quiet moment Mm-hmm. In the sun, where you can relax, you no one's don't telling to, him where to go. No or one's what telling to do you where or... to go. You know, you don't have to wonder about like, am I going to be able to like steal a spoonful of syrup? Yeah, like just the the um, the calm and peace and yeah, knowing, knowing that. the danger is over. It's over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's he's kind of sleeping in the wagon. The rest of the prisoners go into the slaughterhouse. He gets woken up by an old couple. Um, they're actually German obstetricians, and they're they're concerned over the horses. They're kind of talking to the horses. That's right. what wakes them up. And they're kind of like they get Billy out of the wagon. They're like, "Come here, look at this." And he notices for the first time that the horses are they're like, mad with the, um, their thirst hooves there. are broken. They're mad. Their lips are bleeding. Yeah. They've been chafed by the bits. Um, so the you know he's like, "Oh my goodness, I, I had no idea." So they. He or he breaks out crying here as well, so he bursts into tears upon seeing the the horses, uh, and they unharness the horses, and the horses just stay there. They they can't run off because their feet are too much. Yeah, right. So the horses just stay there, uh, and then at that point, the Russians show up, uh, and they arrest everyone except the horses. Uh, and then two days later, Billy is turned over to the Americans and shipped home. Yeah. Then we flash back to the hospital, um, and Rumford and um, Billy are are talking about Dresden. So he somehow pulled them into conversation, and Rumford is saying like, you know, the bombing had to be done. And Billy's like, yeah, I know, you know, like he, Billy is kind of ambivalent about it, right? You know, Rumford's like, I bet it was hell. It sounded like hell, and Billy's like, yeah, it did. You know, <laughs> just lack, lackadaisical kind of Billy fashion, and. You know, Rumford's trying to kind of justify it, I guess, from an American, you know, perspective. And Billy could kind of care less, I think, one way or another. You know, he survived and uh, and made it through. Uh, but then Billy does say um, that everything is all right and everybody has to do exactly what he does. Yeah. He learned that from uh, on Trial Amador. And I don't think Rumford knows what to do with that. <laughs> um, so anyway, he seems he seems well enough. So his daughter then takes him home. Um, he is kind of put under observation. He's got a practical nurse at the house taking care of him. He's not supposed to go to work, uh, or leave the house or kind of do anything too strenuous, but first chance he gets, he sneaks out of the house to drive to New York city to try and get on TV to go through all the stuff that he's been, you know, 
in his mind about yeah. the lectures and, and letters and all that kind of stuff because he wants to impart the lessons of Tralfamador <laughs> to the world. So he, he they bring him home. He sneaks out right away. He drives to New York City. He checks into the Royalton Hotel yeah. on 44th in New York. Uh, turns on the TV to try and find some shows that he might be able to get on. It's too early in the day for kind of the crackpot stuff. So he, he kind of goes out for a walk in, in Times Square, which is close. And he lands in a bookstore. Yeah. Kind of a dirty bookstore. It's it's kind of more of a front, I think, than a bookstore, right? Like, it's it's more of a peep show type place. Well, okay, yeah, but I mean, those sorts of things always have, like, the peep shows in the back mm-hmm. with the, the, the books in the front, yeah. and it's like... The window dressing, the, the thing, Exactly, it, and the thing yeah. that grabs him about the bookstore is that they have a ton of uh, Kilgore Trout books. Yeah, uh, in, the books in, in the window. In the window. Are, are kill- and and when, when um, Billy and Kilgore become friends... One of the things that Kilgore said is, have you ever seen one of my books for sale? And, you know, like, because they're not out there, yeah. right? Like, which is, you know, makes it weird that Elliot Rosewater had so many of them, um, you know, and that they're out there at all. But so this is the and first. And actually, they, when they're friends, too, I think we, we didn't talk about this, but... Um the, uh, Kilgore Trout mentions that he got one fan letter. Yes, in his and, it was career, from and it was from Elliot Rosewater, Rosewater yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was entertaining. And and Kilgore thought he was like a kid, like and, a fourteen year old kid or yeah, something. Fourteen year old yeah. kid, and uh, he and writes like a fourteen year old kid. Like, no, no, he's a full grown adult, and he was a captain in the war. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so he that's what draws him into the bookstore. Uh, he sees the the Kilgore Trout uh, stuff in the front. Which you know, in theory, is books nobody would buy, but yeah. that from an outside view makes them look like a bookstore yeah. or like you know. Uh, he goes in, finds out there's really a like this whole peep show kind of uh, thing going on in the back. And yeah, the further back you go, you start getting yeah. into like the the you know the naughty magazines and yeah, in the back it's it's like the peep show thing where and this is we get some callbacks here too. Like the the peep yeah. show film involves the woman that he was on. Uh, yeah, so, with. so yeah, so he's kind of touring around the bookstore. He picks up a couple books by Kilgore Trout. One he he finds out he's read, which is the big board, and it sounds an awful lot like his story. Yeah. Right? It's um, uh, a man and a woman get kidnapped, taken to a zoo on an alien planet, yeah. um, and the only difference is the big board is a stock ticker, and the aliens have told the couple that they've invested money million dollars into the stock market on, they on have Earth, and they got to manage it. Yeah. And so their ups and downs are getting killed in the market one day, and it's all fake, but it's so the aliens can really like, you know, they it's cre- an experiment. Yeah, they created this reality TV show in the zoo yeah. with these two humans, kind of thing. And but, they even working at one point. Um, it's going to be like National Prayer Week. And so because like the week before all of their investment in like olive oil crashed, yeah. it's during the prayer week, it goes up. That's so now right, it's yeah. like the experiment is to see like, oh, maybe they'll pray more now. You know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other book is, I can't remember the name of it or if they say the name, but it's about a, a time traveling guy who goes back to Jesus's time. Oh, that's right. To see uh, if he um, to see died if or he not. died or not. Um, so anyway, he, so he's looking at these books and the, the, the guys who run the, the five bald men that all kind of look the same, <laughs> right. kind of run, they're all clerks at the store. I kind of like, what's this guy doing? Just yeah. walking around with books. Like, yeah. Hey buddy, like this the stuff's the in, the stuff's back. in the back. Yeah. <laughs> so they keep trying to kind of push him deeper into the store and he, out of kind of politeness, he's kind of like, okay. And he, he goes back there. Um, and like somebody who was watching, um, you know, a movie leaves cause you got to put a quarter in, yeah. I guess, or something, uh, to make it play, but he leaves. So Billy out of curiosity kind of puts his eye up to the thing and pardon me. And we see that it is uh, a film of Montana wild hack yeah. peeling a banana. 
the time runs out before he can kind of see anything else. She's naked, peeling a banana. So, I mean, we can kind of maybe see where it might be going, uh, but it cuts off, and Billy's kind of like, I don't, I don't really yeah, want to see that. <laughs> where that's going. Uh, but he recognizes Montana. Yeah. Um, anyway, so now the 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 guys in the bookstore are kind of like, oh, yeah, he's into this. So they're like, hey, buddy, come, come over see here. this thing over here. We got here. the good stuff yeah, over yeah, yeah. here. And then they whip out the picture of the bestiality. Uh, Which... Know, is the picture that Roland Weary had? Oh, is it? It is. Oh, There's I didn't. A, I didn't. Catch well, that they one. don't say it, but it's they describe it the same way. It's like okay, a, a woman, woman preparing to fillet a horse with the pony. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's that's that's literally the way Roland Weary's picture is described with the Doric columns and all that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know that for sure that it is, but it seems like it's intended to be like okay. a callback to that in this whole sort okay. of like everything kind of goes around. I and, did not catch that. Yeah. But that's good. That's good. Um. Anyway, so. Billy's not too interested with that, but he uh, he wants to buy the Kilgore Trout book, and they're yeah. all like, "What? <laughs> he's, <laughs> you're buying this book? Like he's buying the window dressing, fellas? Like, yes. you know?" Uh, so he's bucks a buck. Yeah, he's buying the book. Uh, it's one that he hasn't read, and while he's paying for it, or he's up at the counter, there's kind of a bin full of magazines, uh, and he sees the magazine. One of the headlines is, you know, like uh, whatever. Uh, what really became of Montana Wild Hack? Right. And, uh, you know, they're saying that she's at the bottom of a lake uh, with concrete shoes or something like that. And Billy's like kind of snickers to himself because he knows the truth. He's on trial. Uh, she's back on trial. Famidor with the baby uh, taking care of her. right? Which makes you wonder. I mean, did did she never leave trial? Famidor? Yeah, I, I guess not. Right. right. Like and, and how it, it's never explained how Billy gets back um to earth no that's you know, true right that's true or or why she stays or you know well and it's also that. you got to think too like this is where the time sliding thing is is so weird because like this could be say a month or six months or a year say after billy gets back from trial famador mm-hmm. and maybe montana's still there then but like 10 years later maybe then she finally back. comes back yeah, right yeah. it's 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 hard to it's so weird Mm-hmm. Try to calculate those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, maybe he went back early, and because uh, he was there first. Yeah. Well, and this trip to New York is where he's trying to like get on TV. And yeah, to talk about stuff, which would make sense if he was just freshly back, kind yeah. of right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's he's he's yeah, because he's he's had the accident, the airplane accident. Yeah. Right. He's recovered from that somewhat, and he's off to New York. We know that. You know, he there's a period of time where he's kind of a, a bit of a crankpot where he's writing letters. His, his daughter's upset with him. Yeah. But then it is it's said that, you know, he eventually kind of becomes this guy that gets invited to these things. And then that's where, you know, he gets killed by Paul at zero, uh, yeah. you know, at, at the end. Right. So we don't know the time from, you know, this bookstore visit in New York uh, to when he, he actually gets on the touring circuit of the alien crackpots uh, and then gets assassinated. Uh, but it's probably not too much longer after that, right? And then maybe Montana has gotten through her breastfeeding um, and is back on Earth or something like that. But yeah, we don't we don't ever resolve any of those kind of stories in the book. Um, so anyway, he he buys the book, um, and uh, then he's kind of walking around back to the hotel. He notices on his way back to the hotel, a building right beside or near the hotel is a radio station. So he does. He does uh, walk into this radio station. Yes, uh, and 
they're they're discussing they're doing the, like um, a, the future of the novel. Yeah, like is the novel dead in America or something like that? Yeah. And nobody really checks his credit. They ask him like, "Hey, you know, are you are you with a paper?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm with the Ilium Gazette." Yes. <laughs> he just pulls that off the top of his head, uh, and so they put him on the show. He doesn't get to talk much at first, and then finally he gets a chance to talk, and he just goes off on his Tralfamador stuff, and then they. Politely, politely ask him to, him yeah. <laughs> to leave on the commercial break. Yeah, it's not, um, not exactly our, our subject of the day, Billy, really, right. but thanks yeah. for playing. Anyway, so he did get on the radio. He got his, you know, his, his uh, point out there, I guess, and that's probably the start of it. But um, from that, from there, um, it flashes back to he's back at the zoo with Montana, yep. and she goes, I know you were time traveling. I can yeah, tell yeah, when yeah, you were yeah, time yeah. traveling. You're doing it again. And he's like, yeah. I, uh, and she asks, she goes, um, you know, it wasn't the war. I can tell when it's the yeah. war. And, you know, and so he tells her that it was New York City and that he saw one of her dirty blue movies, uh, you know, and then she kind of gets a little upset, but she's like, yeah, well, you know, I heard about how you were, you know, a, a, a wuss in the war and all this stuff. So she kind of counterpoints him there. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is where, um, yeah, she says he was a clown in the war. Uh, and that Edgar Dar- Edgar Darby made a blue movie of his own with the firing squad, <laughs> right? Um, and then the end of the chapter is is a picture of her uh, a locket that she has, yeah, with a picture of uh, her mother, yeah, a picture of her mother. But we don't see that because that's on the inside of the locket. We just see the engravings. But which it, is, no, yeah, it's true. But like it's yeah. described that it's a picture yeah, of her mother. It's yeah. very sort of grainy and hard to make out. Yeah, but uh, it does have yeah. But it's the only kind of picture kind of drawing in the book uh and because they're naked in the zoo all the time it's a picture of uh, kind of like you know her cleavage a little bit right you get kind of a, a, a you know very simple image of kind boobs. of like her boobs with the locket in between um and it's got like the old proverb of you know lord grant me the you know wisdom to know what i can't change and the courage to you know what, yep. whatever that which i think is, is also a poster he had in his um optometry office okay yeah uh, and that is kind of the end of that. End of chapter nine. End of chapter nine. Let's. I'm gonna grab a drink. Okay. We are at what are we at? Almost not not quite an hour. Okay. Oh, okay. We're a little over now. One six. It'll be it'll be one twenty one thirty by the time we're done. Well, that's going not bad. Yeah, this last chapter for me was a bit of a tough. I don't feel like it wraps it up really great, you know? No, it, yeah. I don't think it does. I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. I was, I was ripping it harder than normal or something, but when I decided to change hands on the microphone, I had a hard time, like, on top of my just, like, clawing. What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough biz. Tough biz podcasting. Tough biz Don't podcasting. Yeah. yeah. Gotta have good hands if you're a podcaster. Good hands, good voice. That's what they say. That is what they say. That's what they say. Or you just learn not to clutch your fucking microphone like a lunatic. All right, so now we're at chapter 10. The yeah. final chapter. So this chapter kind of employs the same device as chapter one. Right. We're it, back to it's back Kurt to the author's talking. voice. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it starts off with saying, you know, Robert Kennedy's summer house is, you know, a few miles and he, he died a couple of days ago or was shot a couple of days ago and died. Martin Luther King died. Vietnam death 
toll is getting told to me every day. It's just all about death and so this is how it goes. Yeah. Uh, then, it, you know, he's got a little paragraph about how, you know, on Tralfamador, they don't really care too much about Jesus. They're much more interested in Darwin. Right, uh, yes. Right, because he, he was the only one or the first one that uh, was saying death is, is natural or, you know. It's, and not only natural, you know, but good. But good, yeah. Right, like the fact that a certain, uh, a certain avenue of... Uh, evolutionary traits dies off ends up being beneficial for the ones that survive yeah Yeah. which is a unique perspective and then we get vonnegut's kind of opinion on um you know billy's take on the world about kind of reliving through all the moments in your life and time and you know while he's not you know overjoyed to kind of relive his life over and over he's at least glad that there was a lot of nice moments in it um, and one of the nicest moments was when um, he and his friend Bernard O'Hare went back to Dresden yeah. for their research for this book. Um, and this is where we find out that, uh, you know, they had a, a fun plane ride over there. But we find out that um, both uh, Vonnegut and O'Hare were also in the stable at the inn with Billy as part of that group of the 100 prisoners of war that survived in Dresden. Um, and then we find out a little bit about what happened, uh, after the bombing. So this is in between kind of the, the, when uh, they got to the end and yeah, the bit where they, it's the after war the war is actually yeah. over. So in that in between time, which we don't know how long exactly that was, but, um, they are employed as, um, corpse finders, or I think they say corpse miners. Yeah. Right. Um, because they're, they're having to kind of dig into the rubble yeah. and find the bodies. Um, so Billy is paired up with a Maori, uh, guy to, to do that, but they run into a problem cause they start pulling the bodies out. And then once they're kind of out and exposed to the air, they start kind of rotting and smelling and, and that kind of thing. So now they start. And one guy is apparently died of the dry heaves, which. Yeah, from going. Well, that's from going down in there to pull the body. Well, out. but I yeah. mean, just it's from the scent, though, whether it's above yeah. ground. But you're right. It was yeah. from underground. But still, like, I just. A, I didn't even know that was a possible thing. But like to just like I've had dry heaves before. Yeah. And to die from it. To just yeah. the idea of having that just ongoing until you just, your body just gives in like that's. But I mean, they're malnourished. And oh yeah, right? sure, like, exactly. There's Good other point. conditions yeah. there. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely, he's not taking down a fully healthy. No, man. that's true. This is you know an emaciated prisoner. That's true. Of but war. still, what a fucking way to go. Yeah. So then they change up their tack a little bit. The Germans uh, go down and torch them all. Yeah. So they're just kind of like napalming the. Yeah. <laughs> whenever they find a, a, a trove of corpses, they're kind of just uh, firebombing, uh, you know, within there. Um. So now, um. We get a little tiny aside. So this is, it's a small paragraph. I think it's two or three sentences um, that somewhere in there, while all this was going on, yeah. our friend Edgar Darby gets caught with a teapot. Yeah. It doesn't say that he took it or, you know, how he ended up with it, but he's caught with it. He was arrested for plundering. Yeah, and he was tried and shot. So it goes. And we've been hearing about Edward Darby and his teapot since the beginning of the novel. Yeah, there's how many mentions of this yeah. uh, are foreshadowed through the... And much like the the bombing of Dresden itself, it, it gets, you know, it's just sort of like tossed away. Yeah, and I think, you know, to your, to your point earlier um, and, and what I was trying to talk about, about like the senselessness of it and how... Um, you know, like meaninglessness yeah. around yeah. these events, right? Like the the downplaying of it after such a buildup, right? Same thing with with the bombing of Dresden, right? It really, I think, 
adds an impact to us of making a point of just how briefly it's it's looked at yeah right we yeah. build it up we build it up and it just goes by like any other moment right even though it's it's you know whether it's been foreshadowed or, or was a major loss of life or what have you it just goes by like any other moment yeah right? yeah um and i think you know when we, we look at this book being kind of that an anti-war book and and really focusing on the senselessness and the tragedy and and all that kind of stuff i think that is the the impact right of well yeah it's just another moment right yeah yeah, for sure. It's not described in any crazy detail or anything like that. No, yeah. it's just yeah, he you know, he had the teapot, they they arrested him and he was shot. Yeah. Like that's and so it goes, right? So it goes. Yeah. Um uh so and then we find out that um they were all being locked in the stables while they were doing this. That was kind of their their new prison. And one day, uh, they the, wake up the war was the, over. The doors are unlocked and nobody's around. It's just the war's over. Up. They look up. It's springtime. They wander out. They find a wagon sitting yeah. there. So that's uh, the wagon that we saw earlier yeah. um, that, that Billy has one of his happiest moments in. Um, but he just wanders out into the street and, and a there's bird nobody says, around. Pooty wheat. Yeah. And that's, that's it. That's, that's it. the end of the book. So... Um, I think we've mentioned this a few times, but it is a bit of confu- uh, confusion around the timeline as to, you know, he, he keeps yeah, jumping around. Yeah, exactly when things are happening. I mean, I as mean, well as the voice too, right? So sometimes he's telling a story to someone for yeah, a little bit true. and yeah. then it flips into like he's actually flashed back to it. Um, so it can be very kind of confusing to, to figure out, you know, where the voice is, um, whether it's Billy telling it or whether we've now flipped into Billy's memories or into the actual timeline. Uh, so it's very, or is very it like br- very briefly Vonnegut mm-hmm. telling us stuff about Vonnegut? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, as we were talking about a little bit before, this book is just a book of asides. Exactly. <laughs> like every aside exactly. has an aside and it's, it's just a little, and you know, I think that's very much Vonnegut of style. Yeah. Um, I haven't read a lot of his books. Um, this is, this is not my favorite. No. Um, I might've said it was sort of up there and it probably is up there. Cause I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't read a lot, uh, but it's been a long time since I read this and I didn't remember exactly how it ended. And I think like we just briefly talked off the air kind of about how the, the last chapter is kind of frustrating. It's kind of like mm-hmm. what the, that's it. Yeah. But I think part of it is to me, the last chapter is kind of the, so it goes moment of the book. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, it's, as we talked about with, with the Edgar Darby moment, right? Yeah, exactly. The understatedness of it is what lends the, the impact, right? Where we yeah. go, yeah, th- that's it. Yeah. Like I, I thought there'd be more, but there isn't, right? But it's I think, just, it's just a collection of moments. Yeah. But that's viewed together that's as it, one exactly. infinite timeline. That's, right? And that's the trial Famadorian yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Like when you think about it, on some level, every moment is is equal to every other moment. They're all yeah. just moments in this spaghetti timeline of, right. of someone's existence. And whether it's the firebombing of Dresden, whether it's a guy being uh, executed for picking up a teapot, or whether it's a guy sitting in the back of a wagon with the sun beating down on him in what is maybe the happiest moment of his life, these are all equal. Yeah. They're all equal. Just one moment the way it had you know? to be. Yeah. yeah. And that's another thing that I think is really interesting uh, in this book is that it, it does seem to carry that idea that we're on an unalterable path. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that is life. That is our, the way that we work our way through time. It's just where we are, we are all 
doomed or however you want to put it to to live our lives as we are leading them there's no there's no veering off there's no choice really yeah so i'm I'm not sure whether that's um kind of scary in this sense or not um but certainly i I don't from the trial flamidorian point of view it doesn't matter right and i think that's vonnegut's perspective too and that goes back to the so it goes like is it good is it bad it doesn't matter it just is if we don't have the ability to be unstuck in time then it's just a surprise but if we can then we'll get to see it all in one way or another right true but like whether exactly whether we we are able to unstick ourselves and jump 10 years from now and see where we are there doesn't change the fact that that is where we will be 10 years from now That's when right, we yeah. get there. Whether yeah. we do it linearly. The course does not change. The course yeah. does not change. Yeah. yeah. Our, our human centipede uh, timeline <laughs> doesn't change. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just from mouth to anus to mouth to anus. Series of forever. moments like that forever. <laughs> yeah. That's right. um, speaking of which, um, we were, uh, we were, we did actually cover, um, yeah, human centipede. The human centipede, yeah. uh, which got lost to the ether during a laptop upgrade. Um, so I think we talked about going back and re-recording that episode and trying to yeah. um, see if we can breathe life back into it. So if so, you guys are lucky, you can maybe we'll we'll try and re- redo that one. We'll see if we one. can redo that one, that's yeah. Right, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, that's that was Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, we need to come back now and do a you know our traditional live wrap-up. Yeah, share our yeah. overall thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like we said, it's a, it's a book of asides, um, it's a book of moments, and the the premise about the aliens and the, the lessons around that, I think, certainly um, lend credence to the way the book is structured. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. It's it's anti-war, uh, but there's also a lot of other kind of things going on in the book. Um, whether kind of comments about the, the time, um, you know, comments about how people interact with each other. Um, and then, and then the, the view on death, right. Uh, I think is, is very interesting and, 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 and I think very different from the time in which it was written as well. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Vonnegut, I think too, is a bit of a, a bit of a satirist in that, like, mm-hmm. I think he, he, he likes to find or can find absurdities, in the darkness and in the the yes, strangeness sure. of existence, yep. um, and I think there's a certain amount of that in here too. Yeah, it, a scene that comes to mind when talking about that is where he and Roland are fighting, and they look so insane that they yeah. don't, they don't get executed because the Germans are just like, "Look at these fools!" Yeah, or you know, like just the 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 comic um kind of sense of that in a real life and death situation exactly right? exactly yeah. yeah 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 no for sure i think maybe and it's not so much you know the absurd well, i mean it is an absurdity i guess uh, one of my favorite moments in the book is when um when he just happens to mention as an aside of course that billy happens to have a giant wang yeah it's like, on the train yeah. right <laughs> and it's like you never know who's gonna get one do you, like, no, you never know, <laughs> like, yeah. that's true yeah. that's true the main character in this book just happens to have one it's yeah. never relevant to the story no nope. but we're gonna mention it because you know it happens sometimes i mean even even in the brief sex scene with his wife right it and doesn't it, come up it doesn't, doesn't come, come up, up there then, just <laughs> he empties his seminal vesicles <laughs> exactly. and that's all we get exactly <laughs> we'll figure out the live um we got to look at our calendars and everything else we're busy people um, but we'll we'll put it up on on Facebook uh, as soon as we figure out what it is. Um, you can look at it there. So you'll be able to find it on Facebook um, once we land on w- what it is. It'll be in the next probably 
two to three weeks. That's right. Check um, your socials, check like your and socials, subscribe, like all and subscribe, that stuff all that, that stuff. my kids say. Um, and yeah, speaking of, of liking and subscribing as well, just a reminder that um, you can find everything relevant to this podcast at blah, 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 media.com. B-L-A-H, 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 media.com. You can find the podcast themselves, plus links to um, buy me a coffee, Patreon, um, our merch, um, all that good stuff. Yeah. And um, maybe our socials. I don't know if our socials are on the webpage. I should check that. We should we should get it all linked together. We I should guess. get it all linked together. Yeah. I was thinking of, I probably said this before, doing a um, link tree as well. That's probably I, I don't know what that means. It's it's yeah it's um it's <laughs> I, a, I'm that I'm that into social media. <laughs> I you know I barely understand Linktree. It was sort of um brought up to me as a kind of a thing, and I've encountered it more and more frequently. And it's basically just it's a site that just provides links to all of your different socials and all your different platforms. So it'd be okay. like here's Facebook, here's Instagram, here's Twitter, here's my website, here's my YouTube, here's my. Only sure. fans, if you have an OnlyFans, yeah. um, which I mean, you know, maybe we should. Maybe we need to get into OnlyFans. Exactly, yeah. we can we yeah. can do these podcasts pantsless. <laughs> That's right, pantsless yeah. podcasting. Ooh, that actually got a, has a good ring to right? it. Eh? Not bad, not bad. <laughs> Welcome to the well, you heard it here podcasting for, network. Heard it here for first, folks. <laughs> We're about to start a pants off podcast. Maybe, network. yeah. We'd have to find. You know, maybe the right book. <laughs> yeah, maybe the right book with yeah, enough yeah. like sort of dirty talk or That's something. Right, yeah. We could, yeah. Do could, it without pants. Could, could do it. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts before we move on? Before um, we say goodbye. I mean, as aside from the challenge of the timeline in this book, uh, you know, Vonnegut has has a real talent for capturing, um, you know, the the these scenarios, as you said, in that kind of satirical, like finding the the comedy or the the lightheartedness in in dark moments, um, despite the 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 subject matter being somewhat dark. I mean, we're talking about the death of. You know, hundreds of thousands of people and, and that kind of stuff and the atrocities of war. It's a pretty lighthearted book, all things considered, it is, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it, you know, it never really goes very dark at all. Um, it's easy easy to get through um, and, you know, fun to read, yeah. right? Despite yeah. the challenges of the timeline, um, you know, it, the tone is is light and, and easy to, to get through, right? You're never kind of struggling or dismayed or, um, you know, feeling like it's too dark. So I, I really enjoyed that about it. Um, you know, as a, I, I really can't remember much from the first time I read it aside from a yeah, few kind of scenes. Yeah. Um, so it, it felt very kind of new to me, which was good. Um, but yeah, that being said, um, you know, I, I, I we'll, we'll, we'll get more into it, uh, in, for sure. in the live yeah. episode. Uh, but I, I did enjoy that, you know, though it was kind of really about darker stuff, it was easy enough to read and yeah. get through and, and very lighthearted. I, I often describe Vonnegut as a, as in a very hopeful writer. Mm. Um, a lot of his prose tends to be sort of, you know, you know, maybe jaded and, and cynical, but still hopeful for the future, hopeful for the, you know, the next generations and, and that sort of thing. And I think that's particularly interesting considering where he came from, you know, the past as far as Dresden and, and mm-hmm. that kind of, I imagine being in that kind of a circumstance and living through that could to other people make you incredibly jaded yeah. And bitter and angry and 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 whatever, mm-hmm. and that's not the direction he took with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he is one of my favorite writers. Um, I just I absolutely love his style. The asides, the endless asides, yeah. um, the comical moments of of absurdity. Um, 
Yeah. So um, I'll have to find another Ban Vonnegut book maybe to cover. Well, I'm sure. I'm the sure road. there's a couple. <laughs> there must be a couple. Yeah. All right. Well, until we uh, meet once again, uh, audience, next time we'll be live. Um, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. We appreciate you took the time to make it this far with us. And uh, thanks. And if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, you know, leave them on the the podcast websites or the show. Yeah, or uh, uh, email us at bandthingshappen at gmail.com yeah. or you know, you message us on, on Facebook or um, you know, any of the socials or, yeah, we'd, we'd love to like get into questions and stuff yeah. uh, as part of this discussion. Don't, uh, don't sneak a letter under my door. That would be weird. But, um, <laughs> yeah. we're going to draw a line there as far as ways to contact us. But if you do, the address is no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, especially if you think we're wrong about something or, um, you know, that we've misinterpreted something, uh, or if you, you know, haven't read the book and, and you got, you know more kind of questions or want to get deeper in on something uh, or if you have a favorite band book that you'd like us to cover um, yeah. please uh, we're always looking for new ideas that's right um although we've got some some ideas for we've got some next. we got some stuff in the bank yeah, yeah we're not we we're some, not gonna leave we got stuff in the works we got dry. stuff going on yeah. okay um we'll wrap it up then um i've been todd sullivan i've been peter ammon and uh until next time go read a fucking book <laughs> <laughs>